Welcome and thank you for joining Something New, a musical theater podcast where I, Joel B. New, invite an exceedingly talented friend over to my new favorite place, the beautiful True Voice Studios NYC at Columbus Circle. We chat a bit and then we learn and record a song from one of my latest projects, which we end up premiering right here for your listening pleasure. Today's guest artist is a composer, arranger, multi-instrumentalist, and vocalist. His project, Portraiture, released their debut LP, Real as Ritual, last year. In his vast career, he has supported, produced, and toured with renowned indies such as The Lovely Sparrows, Steve Burns on a Struggle, and Brothers NYC. As a classical singer, he has performed at Carnegie Hall with American Symphony Orchestra and the Collegiate Chorale, and is a soloist in the acclaimed chamber choir Musica Viva of New York. And he fosters a close relationship with up-and-coming composers, singing for many premieres of music in the NYC classical scene. Obviously, I'm talking about Nathan Seiler. Nathan Seiler, thanks for being here today. It's wonderful to be here with Joel. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. How you doing? I'm pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're getting ready to record one of your songs. Yeah. Which, yeah. Um, you know, which I know is going to go great. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the reason well, I say you. that is because yeah. we've already done it. Ah, spoiler goes, alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, it's a little behind the scenes. We re- actually do record the song first, but... You know, sorry, just gonna get the hard stuff out of the way. No, it's cool. No, it's 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 important that I'm honest with my listeners. Oh, so good. thank you for helping me set the record. Does straight. that mean that I have to also be honest with your listeners? I hope so. All right, I hope so. So I'll do my best. You're gonna do great. In your bio, you um you get to use the word multi instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, which how many instruments do you play, and which ones? Well, um. I have instruments that that I'm really good at and others that I'm just competent at. Uh, my the, the first instrument I learned was piano, but I hated it. I hated okay. reading music and stuff like that at about age six. So I abandoned that quickly until uh, about 13, and then I was at a ski lodge with my dad, mm-hmm. and uh, we were eating lunch, and there were these two like feathery-haired vixens who were playing for the lunch crowd, one had like a tower of synthesizers. I'm, I mean, I want you to yeah. picture this feathered I'm hair. there. I'm right I mean, there with you. Wings. Wings of feathery hair. <laughs> <laughs> and so one lady was playing a tower of synthesizers, and others, another had a big black guitar. It was larger than other guitars I'd seen. And I said to my dad, I was like, that thing sounds really cool, that guitar. What is that? And he said, that's a bass guitar. I was like, hmm. I want to play the bass guitar because that's so cool. So, um, my dad said, okay, but I'm going to buy you a guitar first, and I want you to learn to play guitar first. And uh, you should also note that I played bass guitar in med school when I was going to med school. And I said, what? That's crazy. No, <laughs> so uh, anyway, he, he, uh, he taught me my first guitar chords. I started bass, did that for about a year, hated it, because I didn't know why it was sounding so bad. It turns out I wasn't muting the strings properly. It was all muddy. 
Mm. But eventually I had a youth pastor who um, forced me to play the bass because I had one and nobody else did. And uh, that started me playing and enjoying it and uh, just playing in front of people. So bass, guitar, to, sh- to answer your question, uh, I play bass, guitar, and um, I, play, I played uh, keyboards and like organ stuff for the band Brothers NYC for a while, and um, I play some accordion. I just picked that up in the last year. Uh, balalaika was something I picked up a couple years ago. I lied when somebody asked me if I played it for this Russian that's concert. That's I said, sure. Uh, that's kind of a way I, I learn things is by lying about it and then having no other choice than to learn it. Wow. So um, if you ask me if I play an instrument, I'll say yes. And then if I have enough time, <laughs> if I have enough time, I'll say yes and learn it. Yeah. And if I don't, you know, obviously I'm not going to learn trumpet or French horn yeah, in that yeah. time. Anyway, yeah, mostly string instruments. <laughs> I, I feel confident and competent at those. And, um, you know, a lot of auxiliaries. That's great. Mm -hmm. Now, where did your interest in music and theater especially first come from? You told the story of the the women playing with with the feathery hair. Was that that your first? Yeah, that was my first. uh, You know, I always played records up in my room. um, And my parents tell the story about how I just, instead of lifting the needle, I just swiped it across my Fisher Price. <laughs> so I listened to, like, uh, you know, Disney, those classic 60s uh, Disney albums, and then I was raised on uh, a lot of Southern rock and New Wave, and uh, it wasn't much classical, but my dad did love the Brandenburg Concertos. Um, but as far as theater goes, I honestly, I never had a real direct relationship with theater. I saw a couple of... Uh, music theater pieces when I was a kid and I was I was really entertained by it um, but really for me um, I was more into I kind of had to be in music theater when I was in high school and when I started singing which is when I uh, take a little bit of a detour and say that yeah. I um, auditioned for a show choir to play bass for it mm-hmm. but to be in this show choir at Memorial High School um I had to sing in the regular choir, and I had to sing at state solo and ensemble contest. So that meant that I had to sing a solo at some point, which I was terrified. But I wanted to be in this thing, and the more I learned how to sing, the more I liked it. I also had to be in the musicals. And uh, What musicals did you do in high school? In high school, we did... Uh, the first one was Music Man. I was mm-hmm. in the ensemble. second one was West Side Story. I was a shark. And uh, the third one was Fiddler on the Roof. And by that time, I had really gotten more confident as a singer and auditioned. I didn't audition for the other ones, but this yeah. one I auditioned and got the part of model, the tailor. Um, and so uh, th- at that point, music theater was just something that was that I saw that I could, I could kind of make a living uh, being an accompanist for music theater mm-hmm. or as a singer. Um, I was naturally a theatrical person. So um, I can see that I just sort of I just did some pieces of of it. I liked doing the weird ones, the modern ones. Um, in college, I didn't do any music theater uh, shows except for um, our composer in residence, Edward Knight. He yep. had a musical called Strike a Match that I was the lead in, and um, that was the only musical I did at Oklahoma City University. No way. Yeah. The other the other things was just. Uh, 
I was in the ensemble for op- the opera Deflator Mouse and Magic Flute. I had no idea. Yeah. But other than that, I just sang art songs. I wasn't, you know, I, I did play guitar in a lot of pits. I played mm-hmm. a lot of bass in, in, in the pit for many shows during that time. So probably more of my life in music theater has been spent as an instrumentalist and just trying to, uh, you know, pick up some, uh, pick up a few bucks here and there. <laughs> Playing bass or guitar, some boom chick, you know. <laughs> I played mandolin in Carnival. No way. Um, we didn't. We didn't put that on the list. We should add that to your list of, yeah. of multi instruments. F- yeah, I forgot. Mandolin was one of them. Uh, I hate when I forget all the instruments I play. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was a. I enjoyed that one. So that's awesome. Yeah. So multi instrumentalist. Um, when I had you uh, describe yourself in my season two teaser. You gave yourself the title of principal architect. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me about um, how you arrived at that way of describing yourself? Uh, principal architect uh, of the band Portraiture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Portraiture is my is sort of the um, the place where all of my my songwriting goes. Uh, it's a band. I chose not to use my uh, my name as a solo artist because. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many contributions by the band members um, to make it what it is. Uh, but, the, but the architect, I use that word because I am not heavily influ- influenced by music anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm influenced by other disciplines of, of art, uh, especially visual art. And that's sort of why um, the name is Portraiture, is because... I now have such a, a striking inspiration from visual art that I see, especially things that are modern. Um, they really, uh, they really make me think. Um, music now is—I still hear things that are so cool, and I hear things that I want to steal. I hear things that I love, but as far as you know, as far as things that that made me feel like music used to make me feel. Uh, just blow my mind and, and put me in this place. Um, I don't really feel that way about music that deeply anymore. I still have that feeling. I still have great feelings. I still try to, you know, to get inside of that. But I, I really have to look f- to different disciplines of, of art to to really inspire my songwriting. That's and, interesting. Um, you know... Do you think that's because... Um if you work in a restaurant and you come home and you're like, if I smell one more garlic knot, um, is it that kind of a thing? <laughs> Where, yeah, like, yeah, uh, it is. Kind of almost, almost oversaturation? Exactly, or? but, but uh, to put a positive spin on it, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, yes, it's like the restaurant thing, but it's like you're at uh, uh, like a gourmet French restaurant yeah. and you love what you produce. You love what you, ma- you make and you stand behind it 100%. Uh, but when you go home, you want uh, you want something other than 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 what you've been having all day. Right. Even though you love that and you're proud of it, and even the smell on your clothes, you might actually say, "Hmm, that was a that was our special was wonderful today." But it's good to be home and eat pizza, or it's good to be home and uh, you know eat something really bizarre. And uh, you know, yeah. So I think yes, I the metaphor no. works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were just talking about your your inf- your non musical influences. Do you mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit more about what you looked at and experienced that uh, that influenced realist ritual? 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, life is full of I- experiences that you can't really remember what led you to the to the songs. Or right. Whatever. Right. Yeah. And the the album is honestly so many of the songs are very old, but the way uh, as far as when I wrote them, but the way um, they were arranged were you know keep get kept on changing to the present day. So mm-hmm. when the album was first released, it was. Uh, it was as, as fresh as it could be, um, even though the, the, the songs and the ideas were quite old. Um, but as far as, like, thinking about um, art and, and other things that, that made me think about uh, some of the songs, I just, there's this one um, piece of art that came out. There's an artist named Corey Archangel. And uh, he, a lot of my songs, I... I I feel a kinship with him about his ideas because, um, first of all, I'm very lyrical, uh, but very densely lyrical and very vague lyrically, um, which is something I try to combat as I grow (laughs) as a musician. You see what you can do, and then you want to change that, obviously. But um, Corey Archangel did this piece called uh, Pro Tools, which, as many of you may or may not know, is is the name of a uh, a music software. Hmm. But his version of it, he took every single game platform, starting with Atari, Nintendo, Sega, Coleco, all the way up to the present day, all of the game platforms that had a bowling game. Hmm. He put the bowling game into the um, into the platforms, took all of the controllers and turned the game on and made it taped the controllers to where they would all throw gutter balls. So here are all the games are projected on walls. You're seeing all the games throughout all the bowling games throughout history. But one one common element is that every single repetition is a gutter ball on all of these different platforms. And you're seeing this in the gallery. And the striking and inspiration inspirational thing about this, for me lyrically and musically, is uh, at first it's hilarious. But the longer you're exposed to it, the sadder and darker it is. And you can't explain the darkness behind it. Or yeah. there's so many things informing it. The the digital age, the coming of the digital age, you're, you know, oversaturation. But it's just failure, failure, failure. Which is funny. Yeah. But it isn't. But then After a while, you're just yeah. like, dude, this, I don't know how I feel. And it's things like that that really um influenced me things like uh christ was a was a yes. very controversial thing and i'm naturally a punk not as far as in the way i dress or um you know the way i'm always behaving but i'm punk in the regard that uh i do what tends to people off or tends to uh tends to defy what the tradition is or what's acceptable uh and that's something i liked about christ is that Somebody brought up a sociological question. What is it about urine that is only fit to be wiped away? Who decided that these things that come out of our body are negative and bad? Yep. And, and our depiction of, of, you know, Christ is with urine is somehow something that is um, completely negative. Well, the fact that it's negative is only created by our perception yep. of what urine is. It's just... It's just like a fingernail. It's just a piece of like a piece of skin, but it is the viewer who ascribes the negative meaning to it. It's not necessarily the artist 
or the artist may have had a negative idea about it, but it's still our reaction and the, rea- the range of yeah. reactions. It's things like that that cause reaction that I, I'm looking for. I'm looking for reaction, sensation. You touched upon uh, the album, uh, Realist Ritual. It's taken quite a few years, like some of the year, the songs are very old. I read mm-hmm. somewhere that it's... Uh, well, first of all, it's a beautiful album. Thank you very much. I love that album. When it came out last year, um, I listened to it pretty nonstop for, for a couple of weeks. And then um, in preparation for this interview, I brought it out again. And just like the same thing happened. Mm-hmm. I was really... It's, it's a really exciting album. Thank you. So thank you for making it, first of all. <laughs> thank you very much. And um, so... So my question is, so uh, I read somewhere that, that some of the song, like, it's taken, like, a decade to put together. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So how do you, because a lot of my, a lot of my listeners, because you viewers, a lot of my listeners um, are performers, and they're doing, uh, hopefully, shows week after week, day after day, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes for years at a time, they're doing the exact same show. Um, I was wondering if you found any connection there for yourself as you're returning to these songs for 10 years mm-hmm. and making them fresh and interesting f- keep keeping them interesting for yourself right and as well as for like your ear and for your audience's ear sure what um can you talk to me about that yeah uh well first of all i mean like the oldest song on the album is actually uh called stop shaking hand and i wrote it after i was on a mission trip to mexico it was juarez where you could never go now um but I was just totally jacked on caffeine. Uh, you know, a lot of people, the way, you know, the way it sounds, it, it sounds kind of like acid or, or like, you know, some psychedelic drug that I'm hopped up on. But actually, it was it was purely an innocent caffeine high of something I used to do, you know, drink a lot of coffee with friends. And we roamed around uh, the streets of, of Juarez at that time before the drug lords came in. But um, so... To answer the question, the um, the songs were developed with the band I was playing with at the time called the Fellowship Students, and uh, all four of us, there were five members, but four of us were songwriters. So it was just, uh, we played those songs, and we played them live, and we played them live for probably six, seven years. Wow. So they got really tight, you know, in that in that uh, way, but we never record, we recorded one album where it had two of each of our songs on it. It was like an EP. But um, what happened was we kind of dissolved. We, there were too many cooks in the kitchen. And mm-hmm. we got along famously, and we're still yeah. best friends. In fact, everybody in the Fellowship Students plays on that record because they're the ones who uh, who helped me create those parts and are totally, uh, I, I need to mention them, Matthew Alvin Brown on guitar. He's a, he's a guy I collaborate, collaborate with a lot still. Uh, Stephen Stark, who also played guitar, uh, he went to OCU, also a f- oh, yeah. fantastic composer, and Jacob Buchanan, who um, who added the drum tracks, and uh, Mark Bollertson, who came in later to the Fellowship Students, added all the keyboard stuff, and we played that, and um, and to to make it fresh from the time we dissolved, which was because we had no direction, we did not have one direction. <laughs> See what I mean? But they couldn't see. see yeah, yeah, yeah. They couldn't see that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But they so, felt it. They felt it. <laughs> yes, they felt it. Um, we didn't have one direction, so um, we kind of broke up. But we we kind of stayed friends and whatever. And we just all needed to go our own solo route. Yeah. So mine was the last album to get made. Jacob made an album. 
Matt made an album called Rainbow Around the Sun yep. that later became an, uh, uh, a nymph show mm-hmm. and also a movie. And um, then uh, Stephen has had m- tons of EPs and LPs. He's got tons of great songs. You have to hear Stephen Stark's songs. Um, but mine hadn't been made. Years passed, and I was in New York, and nothing was happening. And finally, um, a lot of c- circumstances um, brought me kind of to that moment, and um, I decided to do it to make the album. And I just sort of meditated upon what the songs, why, what they were supposed to be from the beginning. Since so much time had passed and we played them this way for so long, what can I do to, to re-energize what my intention was behind the song? So it was really just um, trying to remember those times when I wrote it and what I was feeling and uh, and also adding all of the influences that uh-huh, I had had uh-huh. up until that point and uh, stealing a lot of ideas. And, and I'm talking, by stealing, I mean like production ideas, not yep. like melodies and harmonies. Right, right, right. But cool uh, production techniques and just totally um, kept a very clean approach to the album. If you listen to the album, it is not, um, it's not heavily compressed. It's very, uh, it has a lot of breathing room to it. You, the drums are very open, but the snare is really dead because I liked, I love like Alan Parsons Project, 1970s snare sound, you know, mm-hmm. these big studio <laughs> records, but still the snare was just like, sure, sure. And <laughs> so you'll hear that in the, in the record. And and, uh, and basically it was just, uh, it was just meditating on the, and sort of thinking about, how did they begin and and how am I going to re-energize it with all I've learned up until now that's great Mm -hmm. Uh, so you you write songs for projects like portraiture as Mm -hmm. well as we've discussed uh, musical theater Mm -hmm. Um, how how are they different creatures for you when you sit down like how how do how does your creative approach differ if it does Um, probably with you know if I'm working on a on a theater piece uh which I've mostly arranged for theater like yeah. somebody will give me uh songs that you know they've written like with the instance of of Matt Brown and I uh we've done two musicals together and one of them was like uh it was a children's musical called Theo and the Magic Road and he would send me guitar and uh vocal tracks and then I would arrange them and we know each other so well and pretty much knew exactly what he wanted uh, but <clears throat> my first forays into uh, writing music theater myself, um, the approach is slightly different in that um, I have to s- tell a story. I have to, I have to tell a more. Um, I have to give more facts. I have to give. I, I can't be as vague as I want to be. I can't be as stream of consciousness as I want to be lyrically. Yeah. Because um, for the next piece I'm working on which is a big surprise just keep following me and you'll you'll see what it is eventually it's going to be incredible um, but I can't wait yeah I, I just have to uh, I have to tell a story I have to distill the information but uh, as far as musically um, I just need to concentrate on on creating uh, bigger hooks more conventional hooks mm-hmm. um, in melodies uh, but as far as my approach it's there's one aspect of it that is the same as portraiture, and that is I am at war with cliché. I hate cliché, 
and I'm at war with cliché. Now, there are some melodic techniques that you have to use that are technically, they just work. And, you know, you and I have learned this. We, you know, we, um, we've learned this probably through, through mostly through like 18th century counterpoint and some of those things where it's just like what not to do. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, when a melody sticks, that's not, to me, that's not a cliche is, is going for something that, that works. It just, it just yeah, falls into like place. Osmosis. Right. Yeah. I, what I do is I, I don't do what's I don't do what's safe. I Good. hate what's safe, and what's safe sucks. And we don't need any more of that. Yeah. Um, we do need to we we still need to have things that have melody is still extremely important. Yeah. That that can't go away. Or if it goes away, you got to replace it with content or uh, atmosphere or something else. Yeah. If that goes away, you know, there's there's a, uh, many things that, that you have to do if you're going to lose your melody. So, <laughs> the short answer is I approach it, uh, the lyrics a little bit more straightforward. I approach um, the music a little bit hookier and, uh, but I still maintain the fact that I do not want to rehash uh, what's been done before. When you sit down to write Anything, because you are a, a, a self-proclaimed multi-instrumentalist and an architect. What what instrument do you sit down at to 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 get to work? That's a good question. Uh, sometimes, in the first you know fifteen years of the songs I've written, it's all basically been on acoustic guitar. Sit down in the living room or in my room, and uh, it's basically. Uh, when you sit down with an acoustic guitar, if you play, those of you who play out there, there's always a first chord you play, you know, mm-hmm. or something. And uh, so basically, I don't know, for the first 15 years, I just did acoustic guitar um, writing. I found harmonies that I loved. And then um, I I wrote poetry constantly from, like, college to, um, I don't know, I kind of stopped writing poetry by the end of college. But... Um, so I started just matching those. I would have a, a shred of harm, harmonic material on the guitar that I liked, mm-hmm. match it with a poem that I really liked. Uh, but now I find that the guitar is really confining me to um, just the stuff that I'm used to playing. Right, your fingers go to the same place. Exactly. Like yeah. yeah, I know that. That's why I, I picked up the guitar about a year ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so now I'm going to the piano. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, even though I'm a bass player, and that's what I play in portraiture, and that's what I love playing more than anything, is I really feel like one of my zones of genius is laying down great bass lines. It's not fancy, what I do. It is a little different, and it is uh, every time... I play a note, I focus on playing the next one even more perfectly in the pocket than the last. And I get off on it. A lot of people don't understand why you would get off on bass, but I love it so much. No, a, it's, good, a good bass line just yeah, makes or breaks a song. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you listen to a song, a lot of people think it's the beat. Well, it, not as much as the bass line up against the beat. It's mm-hmm. how the bass line is reacting to the beat, the counterpoint, where you, where you go away from the bass drum... You listen to Motown, that's what you're going to discover. If you listen, you know, my homework assignment for you is listen to the bass line for Signed, Sealed, Delivered. Listen to the drums, how straightforward, and you'll hear James Jamerson uh, veering off and creating the thing that makes you want to shake your butt. <laughs> Ass is what I wanted to say, but you I can, don't know. It's cool. That's cool. Okay. It's cool. Anyway, so 
Uh, I kind of got off on a tangent. What were so you? you've you've uh, started to set up the piano. Yeah, started to set up the piano. That's very exciting. It's not a uh, not an instrument that I play all the time. So I'm finding some great. When I compose for classical stuff, I usually do it at piano. Yeah. But you know, for pop songs, it's totally new for me. But still, even if I sit at the piano, I don't really like piano-driven songs for my own stuff. It's just to see harmonies there wasn't, I didn't way. find a lot of piano on Realist Ritual. Right. I mean, I looked for it, believe me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some fantastic piano parts by Mark Vollertson on there, but um, I'm not really... I love piano-driven rock of, you know, of the of the top ten piano rock greats that, yeah. you know, we can all name, but um, it's that's really not my thing. My thing is more... I love guitar and bass counterpoint. And uh, and I love uh, minimalism. I love atmospheric things. If it's not contrapuntal, there's one instrument that we haven't really talked about yet, which is your voice, mm-hmm. um, which is glorious. And Thank you're you. all about to hear it. Um, how how do your skills as a performer, both as of mostly like especially as a vocalist, yeah, how does that make you a better writer, or does it? Uh, yeah, I guess it does. I mean. Um, Probably for the melodic content. I mean, because um, sort of as a soloist, you, you're you just repeating patterns of melodic content all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do sing far more as a choral artist but uh, than I do as a solo artist. But, um, yeah, I guess it, I guess you just know what's going to be singable um, when you, when you write something. Mm-hmm. And if, and I, I just know, when I need to break rules about things. I know what is going to be cliche on a voice. Um, I know what I want to hear. I know how exactly how it's going to sound. Um, and uh, so that's how it helps my writing. I mean, I, I guess um, all of all the stuff I've sung, it's it's just those lines, all of that material is somewhere in any of any given piece I have <laughs> or whatever. It's always amazing, you know this, yeah. that you uh, you do something and it, it kind of gives you, a, when you write something and you know it clicks, it, you kind of get the chills when yeah. you, after you've, you've found it. Yeah. And then some sometime in the future you, you hear what it was maybe that, that was like that. And um, you're like, oh my God, that's like a person I've never listened to a lot. But this song has this element in it and I love that song, and I never thought that that would be an influence for me. That's really I don't. Cool. That, that happens to yeah, me. I just yeah. find like I hear it on the radio, and it just smacks me in the face. I'm like, that's where it, I got that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's not like a ripoff idea. It's just like a feeling. Yeah. Or like a, a or like a, a riff, or or even a, like a sound, and you're just like, oh yeah. Yeah. Or that groove. Like I found. Exactly. I, I I definitely rediscover grooves, and I'm like. Oh, that's where I that that's that that feels that feels like home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grooves are a big one. Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> it's like that's why they're grooves. Like yeah. they, they groove into exactly. You. Yeah, yeah. That's right. When you're writing uh, uh, vocal melodies for yourself versus someone else, mm-hmm. um, do you feel like you do you give yourself harder stuff or? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I'm now trying to be less singy about things mm-hmm. um you know when when i was younger it was it was trying to be you know you try to be a little bit impressive with with what you do mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and the older i get 
um, the more I'm, I'm trying to uh, not really be as impressive, but just focus on, on a melody. And I love a sort of rhapsodic melody. That's sort of, if you listen to my stuff, it, anything that does have a melody will be pretty rhapsodic, and that my sort of definition for that would be a lot of leaps, um, a lot of... Um, a lot of range is covered between a verse and a chorus, and mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, I'm I'm trying to be simpler. Actually, I'm getting I'm trying to be a lot simpler. There are times when I speak or just scream stuff, and you know that's just that's just for communication. That's you know I, I I'm aiming more even as a classical singer. I'm aiming more for communication of the lyrics. Um, and, and less about the quality of my voice, as you'll see in the song. <laughs> Not that I think, I think you sound great. Well, thanks. I, I you know, like if, when you hear the song that that uh, that's Joel's song, which is incredible. Speak of you know, of what clicks. It it's just his his uh, this song is is airtight, and oh, I thank love you. it. And the choral writing is just fantastic. That's, thank you. you know, that's I, really what I like. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it's I don't get a lot of. Opportunities, or I guess I don't give myself a lot of opportunities to write for groups. Mm-hmm. I think, as as con- contemporary musical theater writers, you know, we're I think too often we're thinking of um, our next concert or something like that, mm-hmm. where you know, rehearsal time is always limited, rehearsal space is always limited, mm-hmm. people's attention spans are even more limited. Yeah, and so to give them an ensemble of of any kind of proportion. This budget too. Oh yeah, you know it's just it's almost unheard of. Yeah, and so I, I and this season I just keep writing more group stuff. I don't know why. Well, it's great, and people are willing to do it because they like your stuff. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's I'm I'm super super <laughs> grateful for everyone who's, who's here today, and you'll you'll hear them all by name. Yeah, you'll soon. you'll hear them all by name. But you know, it's sort of like the evidence of that is just that now you know I don't I don't think as much as ha- about how my voice sounds anymore as I do did I did I say what what it was supposed to say I mean did it capture the emotion that that was important um and it's funny because now when I hear myself back it's like uh it's it's not as accurate as I used to be it's not as as beautiful but it it is more it's a lot more mature as far as what you know all the experiences I've had and and Mm. trying to give this character a, a any sort of realism or yeah. emotional content, so you know, I you know, I'm, my voice not may may not get any prettier, but at least I'm getting better at communicating. I think you wear a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, one of the things I, I really idolize about you is that you're really good at taking taking certain hats off uh, when they don't serve the task at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is the secret to your ego? Mm. Uh, well, first of all, uh, the secret to, uh, well, I do have an ego. Yes, I do. We all um, do. We all do. And, and it's necessary to, to perform, um, and to be confident about what you do. Um, but for me, it, you know, I'm getting, it's funny because the path of my ego is taking two crazily different roads on one path my ego is getting less and less where I realize that, you know, I don't really, I really don't think music is, is really that important. 
in the grand scheme of things. A lot of people define themselves mm. by music. Yeah. Um, but I've had a lot of experiences in my life where, uh, where being alive was the most important thing. And um, treating others well and, and having relationships with people is, is the most important thing in this world because when we die, we're not going to take money with us. We're not going to, you know, we may take fame, but how are we going to cash in on that fame in the grave? You know, uh, so what? It it it's all meaningless unless we are loving our our friends, our community, and the people around us, and we help them. Uh, sometimes helping them is saying no, and sometimes helping them is um, is holding people accountable. So it's not always the kind of love that you you know you imagine as touchy feely, give everything you have to everyone. It love comes in many forms um, so in that regard is just developing as a human being is the most important thing uh, for me music is completely secondary to to being a better human uh, on the other hand um, the ego it, I, I get I, I try to uh, to trust myself more the older I get the more I have to trust my instincts about things but sometimes that that prevents me from taking advice um, from people who I work with. And I, you know, I have a lot of pride. Like if somebody says, you know, you do this certain thing when you perform, maybe try this a little different, you know, my shoulders go up to my ears because I'm mm -hmm. like, what? There's nothing I, no, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this forever. Mm -hmm. But I, I, have, I have to work on that. I'm constantly working on that. Um, so that still happens. Um, but I think the fact that I, because I wear so many hats, as you said, it helps me take them off because I know what it's like to be uh, an instrumentalist and the conductor is being a total dick or the conductor is being a spineless person who's not getting anything done. I've experienced both of those things where you know you you just you do what you're told as as the instrumentalist mm -hmm. and as a composer this is the biggest thing yeah. is i think being a composer is the biggest takes away a lot of the ego for me as far as performing because the important thing is the piece it is not me i know that when my pieces are performed i am so grateful to hear people doing my stuff oh yeah that I, you know, I can't, I just couldn't be more grateful for that. So as a performer, I try to remember what that is like to be the composer. And I try to work from, as a performer, from the composer's angle, hmm. always serving what the composer intended, asking questions, uh, doing better and, um, and being a part of the, the organism that the composer, um, intended. So I think I think after talking for a while, I've come to the conclusion that I think the best, the best way I've been able to control ego and and all of the different stuff I do is probably stems from the the fact of that I'm, you know, grateful as a composer when anybody does this for me, I want to do it that way for others. Well, you're a very generous artist and a, and a generous friend as well. Well, thank you. If anyone didn't know that, and if you know Nathan, <laughs> you already know that. But oh, uh, what final question? 
What's on the horizon for Nathan Seiler in 2014? Oh, 2014. I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, I I don't really know, but um, I I have stuff I'm working on. I'm trying to get better at uh, trying to play more shows. Wait, I'm also trying to not say trying to. That's one of the things I'm doing. Hmm. Instead of saying I'm trying to do this, I'm, I'm now trying to say Ah, I found that. See, what I, ha- so what I heard happened? that. I heard that. I what heard. happened? <laughs> I am doing things. Uh, I'm I'm going to perform more shows with Portraiture. Uh, expand our um, our uh, sort of uh, touring with in different cities. We're not probably not going to do a national tour anytime soon, but we'll be in the uh, Northeast a lot more frequently. And um, the the musical I'm working on is very exciting. I'll just. Um, I don't know if I want to reveal too much about it, it's but totally fine. I'm perfectly suited for it. it it's a uh, it's a Vietnam era musical, and um, and I was raised on the acid rock and and the other stuff from that era, and I I, I think that the fact that I approached writing this that I'm approaching this piece not as a music theater piece. It's hmm. I want each song to stand alone as if it were in a rock album, and um, that's. That's one of the other ways that it's going to be different. So that's going on, and uh, I'm also in a singing group called the American Three, and uh, just got back from Nashville recently doing a oh no way like a show for industry types to see you know what's going to happen with it. And for that, I'm just a uh, I'm I play the string bass and sing for them, and it's standards and stuff like that, which is really fun. Mm. It's really cool. Those guys are incredible musicians, and I like hanging out with them. So. I don't know what's. I don't know what's going to happen with all this stuff. You know, I have to take. Well, no one does. I have to take everything, everything a day at a time. And uh, you know, if you want to read into that statement, you're probably correct in what you uh, where you think that phrase comes from. A day at a time. It's very important for me, and uh, and it's kind of a clue about uh, a big part of my life. So, well, cheers to that. Thank you. One day at a time. Yes. Well, now comes the time to uh, set up the song mm-hmm. and uh, introduce you to the whole cast. Um, the song that Nathan and a whole bunch of other people graciously learned uh, today uh, is called Another Dead End from To Hell and Back, which is my indie rock piece. Uh, it's my take on the Orpheus and Eurydice myth. Uh, in this early scene, our hero Jack, played by Nathan, uh, has just accepted a taxi ride into the underworld to bring his girlfriend and thusly his music back to life. I've been working on To Hell and Back for a few years with my creative team, director Lori Walter Hudson and choreographer Roy Leitner, and we are preparing for 2014 to be the year for a proper workshop or sometime for other developmental mounting. Uh, yes. Uh, so if you or anyone you know are interested in seeing or hearing more I in am. this regard... All right. Well... <laughs> First of all, thank you, and um, yeah, just um, I, I wrote my inbox is always open. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. You like that? Yeah. All right. Words to live by. Always. Yeah. Uh, today's cast, I uh, like I said, Nathan is playing Jack. We have the amazing Marita Stryker as Persephone, the queen of the underworld. Jacob Schneider as Karen, the taxi driver, and an amazing ensemble and consisting of going to get all their names correct. Mana Nichols, Sam Simak, Heather Corrigan, Christine Patterson, Jennifer An- Anderson, Marita Stryker, Jacob Schneider, Carl Michael Johnson, Patrick Lassley, and Leah Darby. 
uh, and accompanied by the amazing, amazing Dan Radzikowski. So we had a we, we had like a dozen people here. Today. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was just it was it was nutty and wonderful yeah. and fast and furious, and great, they all great people. Really, very very, uh, very sharp musicians. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it should be noted that the world of Tehelenbeck is a hybrid of Greek mythology and my home state of Nebraska. So North Omaha and the underworld are synonymous in this regard. <laughs> uh, remember, Another Dead End will be available for free download on my SoundCloud page until episode 205. And if you'd like to request sheet music, you may write me at joelbnew at gmail.com for a free PDF. Be sure to download Something New Volume 1 for free on Noisetrade.com. Tips will be donated to the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, follow me on all things social media, and you may find all of those links and so much more on joelbnew.com. And while you're there, feel free to click on either the Cafe Press or Donate links on the podcast page. Any and all contributions go toward production costs and are supremely appreciated. Uh, please visit nathansiler.com. Uh, subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Tell your friends all about it. Uh, special thanks today to Peyton Royal at Website Lines, Red Scandal Graphics, uh, today's accompanist, Dan Ratzkowski, uh, today's phenomenal cast, uh, True Voice Studios NYC, who uh, who housed us today and every day. I love you, True Voice. Darn right. TrueVoiceStudiosNYC.com, 212-245-2441. I hear they have gift cards. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a tiny note that I am taking uh, a tiny break for the holiday season. So uh, episode 205 is slated to premiere in mid-January 2014. So enjoy your time off, listeners. Uh, last but not least, Nathan Seiler, thank you so much for doing this. You are welcome, Joel. This was Anytime. A blast. Yes, it was. Uh, from True Voice Studios at Columbus Circle, this is Joel B. New. And this is Nathan Seiler. Saying thank you for dropping by for something, something new.
Don't you let this be another dead end Another dead end I'm shifting to freak out mode I've recused on what I think is south road Yes it is Getting out of here